Let's pray. Lord God, give us wisdom, grant us strength. Thank you again for your word given to us, and we pray, Lord, that it would affect our lives, that we would walk according to it, and we would rejoice according to it. For you are a glorious God, worthy of all the praise we can give to you. May our hearts magnify you. We pray this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Well, as we reboot our Christmas season, we want to bring ourselves back to the Advent from God's perspective. What is Christmas really about? That's what we're getting at in this series. What is Christmas really about? As you can see, we have some decorations over there, a lovely little living room setting. Come back tonight to find out what that's all about. Is it about the decorations? Is it about the food, this family gathering around? What is Christmas really about? It's, it's about our salvation and reconciliation to God. In our passage today, we're going to see a few different things. But, but first of all, we're going to see that in our darkest days, God brings us an offer of salvation. Secondly, we're going to see that in our darkest days, God brings us an offering of salvation. There's a subtle difference there if you were listening. Maybe you weren't listening. In our darkest days, God brings us an offer of salvation. And in our darkest days, God brings us an offer of salvation. You'll you'll see what that means in a little bit. And this offer, it comes with validation, a sign. A sign of great value and deep significance. And I want us to grab a hold of that idea of what this sign really is loaded with today. Go ahead and open up your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 7. I'm going to start reading at verse 1. Let's stand up for the reading of God's Word. Isaiah chapter 7, verses 1 to 14. God's word says, In the days of Ahaz, the son of Jotham, son of Uzziah, king of Judah, Rezin, the king of Syria, and Pekah, the son of Ramaliah, the king of Israel, came up to Jerusalem to wage war against it, but could not yet mount an attack against it. When the house of David was told, Syria is in league with Ephraim, the heart of Ahaz And the heart of his people shook as the trees of the forest shake before the wind. And the Lord said to Isaiah, Go out to meet Ahaz, you and Shir Jashub, your son, at the end of the conduit of the upper pool on the highway to Washer's Field. And say to him, Be careful, be quiet, do not fear, and do not let your heart be faint because of these two smoldering stumps of firebrands at the fierce anger of Rezin in Syria and the son of Ramalia. Because Syria, and with Ephraim and the son of Ramalia, has devised evil against you, saying, Let us go up against Judah and terrify it, and let us conquer it for ourselves and set up the son of Tabil as king in the midst of it. Thus says the Lord God, it shall not stand, 
And it shall not come to pass, for the head of Syria is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is resin, and within 65 years Ephraim will be shattered from being a people. And the head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is the son of Ramalia. If you are not firm in the faith, you will not be firm at all. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz, Ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be as deep as Sheol or as high as heaven. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, and I will not put the Lord to the test. And he said, Hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary men that you weary my God also? Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. The reading of God's word. Thank you very much. Go ahead and be seated. This was a dark time. A dark time for Ahaz, the king of Judah. He is surrounded by his enemies. The king of Syria and the king of Israel have joined together in order to defeat him. Ahaz saw them coming. He heard about it and he was besieged. They shut him in. There was nothing that he could do about it in and of himself. And therefore, in verse 2, it says, When the house of David was told Syria is in league with Ephraim, the heart of Ahaz and the heart of his people shook as the trees of the forest shake before the wind. They were in fear. They were scared. He needed some help. He needed someone to save him. He could not do it himself. And it was at this time that God came to Ahaz through the prophet Isaiah. God came in the darkest of days and offered Ahaz salvation. When there was absolutely nothing that Ahaz could do in and of himself to win his day, God said, trust me. Trust me. They will not prevail. Verse 7, thus says the Lord God, it shall not stand and it shall not come to pass. Just be firm in your faith in me. Verse 9, the second part of it, it says, if you are not firm in the faith, you will not be firm at all. The converse of that statement being, have faith in me and you will be firm. What I have said will come to pass. You you can't do it. You can't do anything at this point, Ahaz. But I can. And God offers Ahaz a sign here. He says, I'll give you a sign. A sign to prove my trustworthiness. A sign to prove to you that what I have said will actually happen. But Ahaz, what what does Ahaz do here? Ahaz refuses God's offer of a sign. Verse 12, verse verse 10. The Lord spoke to Ahaz. Ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be as deep as Sheol or as high as heaven. And Ahaz said, I will not ask and I will not put the Lord to the test. Why would Ahaz refuse God? Why would the king of Judah say to God, I, I I don't want your sign. I don't want this. I will not put you to
to the test. His, his answer seems humble enough before God, doesn't it? It seems like he's being very contrite and answering God very respectfully. But, but really, he refuses God not out of humility, but because in our darkest days, God still offers us salvation. In our darkest days, God still offers us salvation. See, and he offers it to us in those dark days when there is nothing we could do to win our own salvation. And he offers us salvation in those darkest days of rebellion when there is nothing we would do to win our own salvation. There's nothing we could do, nothing we would do. And in this case, Ahaz would do nothing for his own salvation before God. Look with me at 2 Kings. Go ahead and flip over there. 2 Kings, chapter 16. We're going to learn a little more about Ahaz and his character here in 2 Kings, chapter 16, the first eight verses of it. 2 Kings is right after 1 Kings. Fancy that. And it's before Chronicles, the two books of the Chronicles. 2 Kings chapter 16. It says there in in 2 Kings chapter 16, in the 17th year of Pekah, the son of Ramalia. Sound familiar? Ahaz, the son of Jotham, king of Judah, began to reign. Ahaz was 20 years old when he began to reign. And he reigned 16 years in Jerusalem. And he did not do what was right in the eyes of the Lord his God, as his father David had done. But he walked in the ways of the kings of Israel. He even burned his son as an offering, according to the despicable practices of the nations whom the Lord drove out before the people of Israel. And he sacrificed and made offerings on the high places and on the hills and under every green tree. Then Rezin, king of Syria, and Pekah, the son of Ramalia, king of Israel, came up to wage war on Jerusalem, and they besieged Ahaz, but could not conquer him. At that time, Rezin, the king of Syria, recovered Elath for Syria and drove the men of Judah from Elath. And the Edomites came to Elath, where they dwell to this day. So Ahaz sent messengers to to Tiglath-Pilsir, king of Assyria, saying, I am your servant. He sent messengers to the king of Assyria, saying, I am your servant and your son. Come up and rescue me from the hand of the king of Syria and from the hand of the king of Israel who are attacking me. Ahaz also took the silver and gold that was found in the house of the Lord and in the treasures of the king's house and sent a present to the king of Assyria. Wow. Ahaz was an abomination. He was not a man of character before God. He seemed to be good on the surface, perhaps. Verse 12, I mean, we, we look at his answer, but Ahaz said, I will not ask, and I will not put the Lord to the test. It sounds good, doesn't it? But his heart was in outright rebellion against God. He sought after and worshipped false gods. He sacrificed his own child. He murdered his own son for gods that don't exist, chasing after them under every green tree. 
Instead of leaning upon the God of creation, he leaned upon the king of Assyria for help out of a heart of rebellion against God. Ahaz had already made up his mind when God came to him. He didn't want God's help. Ahaz was in the darkest depth of depravity. I read and shared a great article this week on the Facebook. It was a reminder that the world's problem isn't that it can't do morally good things on occasion, even on a regular basis. They, they feed the poor, they take care of the elderly, they love those who love them. Ahaz was, was that sort of guy. He could look good on the surface. The, the world can be a wonderfully good place full of good things and great people, at least on the surface. The problem with the world is that in our hearts, we are in rebellion against God. We're surrounded by our enemies of sin and death. They've taken lodging in our hearts. As Aaron Berry, the author of the article I shared, wrote, he said, What makes the world a wicked place is not fundamentally their immorality. It is their unbelief. And it's an unbelief which can manifest itself in the fruit of immorality. And yet it's in the midst of this darkness, this this depth of rebellion, that God brings an offer of salvation. In spite of Ahaz's refusal, God says, I'm going to give you a sign. I'm still going to give you a sign. A sign to remind us that he is trustworthy. And a sign that he is the God of salvation. You see, in in our darkest day, when there's nothing we could do to save ourselves, because all of our righteous works are still loaded with our own sin, aren't they? And in our darkest day, when there's nothing we would do, because we don't want to be bothered to be saved, God still offers salvation to you and to me. Romans 5, 6, and 8. While we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners... Christ died for us. Our problem isn't the world that surrounds us. It's our refusal of God. But God says in verse 14, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. What a strange sign. What a strange thing to offer. In the middle of a war, somebody's going to have a baby. What what is the significance of of such a thing? Why, Why would God promise such an idea that a virgin would have a child? I think we really need to examine why a virgin birth. First of all, God offered Ahaz a sign. Again, verse 10, the Lord spoke to Ahaz, ask a sign of the Lord your God, let it be as deep as Sheol or as high as heaven. Make it anything you want, Ahaz. Make it the impossible. Make it something that only God could do. 
that no human being could ever conceive of or make happen. Ahaz refused. But God gave a sign anyways because regardless of us, God remains faithful and trustworthy. He wanted to give us a a, a neon sign of his plan of salvation, one that we couldn't ignore, one that showed that this salvation is from the hand of God. Not anything or anyone on earth could provide such a salvation. It's like a road sign on, on a long trip after you've been driving for a long time and you're driving in the dark and you feel like you're lost. You, you looked at the map and you know you saw that there should be a sign coming up and you're, you're going, I sure hope I'm going the right way. And then you look up and there it is. And you go, oh, thank God, I am on the right path, right? Seeing the sign gives a sense of confidence in God's trustworthiness, doesn't it? and the salvation that he has provided. And and here in the Old Testament, we read about this sign. And as we're traveling along, we, we look up in the book of Luke, and there it is, the sign of God. Luke chapter 1, verses 26 to 37, it says, The angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph and the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is in the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. Ahaz, make the sign impossible. Make it something only God could do. How will this happen since I'm a virgin? Nothing is impossible with God. We have confirmation of that in the book of Matthew, chapter 1, verses 22 and 23. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord has spoken by the prophet, tying us back to Isaiah. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means... God with us. We see the sign on the road map in the book of Isaiah. And then we look up on our journey and we see the sign before us in the Gospels of Luke and Matthew. God said it and it has come to pass. God is both good and able to provide salvation. He is trustworthy and faithful. God has made the impossible happen.
So is this just a, a road sign? Or is it more significant than that? Why a virgin birth? Is this just something for us to say, yay, God, right? Uh, or, or does it reach deeper than that? Is it nifty or necessary? This virgin birth. It, it is our road sign to give us confidence and assurance in our faith. It is the impossible to show that salvation is from the hand of God alone. But the virgin birth is so much more. It runs so much deeper than that. God tells us in his word that we are all sinful. We are all in rebellion against God just like Ahaz. Let's not think that we are better in some fashion than Ahaz who himself was in rebellion against God fallen short of his holy perfection. We learn about the fall in the opening chapters of Genesis, and it's reiterated to us in Romans 3.23. There is no forgiveness, we are told, without the shedding of blood. We're reminded about that in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22. Somebody has to pay the price. Somebody has to pay the price. The wages of sin is death. We learn about that back in Genesis. And God said to Adam, if you eat of the tree, the punishment is death. And then we learn about that in Romans again. The wages of sin is death, Romans 6.23. We can pay that price ourselves if we'd like to. It'll, it, the price is death and eternity in hell. Separated from God forever. Because a sin against an infinite eternal God has an infinite eternal weight behind it. So we'd have to pay it infinitely. We can pay that for ourselves. Or is there some way for God to provide a sacrifice that is both sufficient and equivalent so that we can all have eternal life instead of eternal death? so that we can be restored to the God who created us? Is there a sacrifice that's sufficient for all sin, for all time, a sacrifice that is capable of tasting death for everyone? Equivalent to a human being, it's got to be man for man, because animals were never equivalent to man. God doesn't need a sacrifice for himself, does he? He is perfect. How can God provide a perfect sacrifice? One that would not have to die for its own sin. One that is equal in value to mankind, human in every way, yet one that is not finite, not limited, like you or I are. A sacrifice that is able to cover all sin for all time for anyone who would accept the free gift of salvation that God offers. You see, the virgin birth is not just a nicety. It is a necessity. In a day and age where so many see the virgin birth as something optional, a nice story, it goes far deeper than that. It's a beautiful sign, and it is a logical, rational necessity because we serve and love the grace of mercy of a rational, logical, magnificent God. 
The virgin birth provides us with a wonderful salvation. You see, in the birth of Jesus Christ, we have an equal sacrifice because Jesus was born in the flesh. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 to 17. Since, therefore, the children, us, share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of a people." The sacrifice can't make propitiation. It cannot assuage the wrath of God unless it's equal. It's got to be man for man. In the birth of Jesus Christ, we have an equal sacrifice, and we have a perfect, sinless sacrifice in our place. Exodus chapter 12, verse 5 tells us that the lamb to be offered for the Passover has got to be without blemish. It's got to be perfect. And we read in the book of Hebrews, chapter 4, verse 15, that Jesus was tempted and yet without sin. There was no sin to be passed on to the Son of God because he had no earthly father. Because sin is passed from a father down to his children. God had that covered in the virgin birth. In his birth, we have a sacrifice of infinite, eternal value. Because in him, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, as we read in the book of Colossians. Philippians chapter 2 is such a beautiful reminder of just who Jesus is. Verses 6 to 11, it says, Jesus Christ, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself. By taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Without a virgin birth, there is no salvation. If Jesus was only God, it wouldn't make sense because God doesn't need a sacrifice for himself. If Jesus was just a man... He would have had to have died for his own sin, having sin passed on to him from his own earthly father. And if he was perfect, if he did live a a perfect life, being just a man, he has a finite value of one man. Who's he going to die for? He'd have to pick somebody. Sorry, you're too late. In the virgin birth, we have Emmanuel. God with us god in the flesh 100 percent god and 100 percent human flesh come together the hypostatic union take that one home and chew on it the virgin birth is so overwhelmingly significant to our salvation it provides for emmanuel the god man to be born which provides for an equal and yet infinite eternal sacrifice in our place and gives us a perfect, blemishless, sin-free sacrifice on our behalf. Fantastic, isn't it? When we really think about what God has planned and what God has done. 
our, our Christmas reboot should remind us that in our darkest day, when we could not and would not do anything to seek his salvation, he still brings it. His faithfulness and trustworthiness has been shown to us in the sign of the virgin birth. What he says will happen has happened, will happen. It's a birth that provides us with a magnificent salvation. Emmanuel, Jesus Christ, born in the flesh, man for man. The Son of God, infinite and eternal, able to pay the price for all sin, for all time, for anyone who would come to him. The perfect sacrifice in our place and for our sin. And so I have one question for you this morning. Are you on the right road? I know you've been coming to church for a long time, maybe. Maybe this is your first day. Are you on the right road? Have you seen the sign? Did you, did you see it here on the map? Then did you look up and see it? The eyewitnesses who told us, this is what happened, guys. Are you beginning to understand the great reaches and depth of the salvation that God has provided for us in his son, Jesus Christ? If we are those who have accepted Jesus Christ as our Lord and our Savior, let's be in awe of what God has done for us this Christmas. Absolute awe of how God has brought us salvation in our darkest days. If you are still in your darkest days, if you are still in rebellion, if you are still refusing God, I pray that His Spirit would be knocking upon your mind, knocking upon your heart, asking you to open that door. Let Him in. Know that God has brought you an opportunity for salvation from your sin. You do not have to perish in your sin. You don't have to pay that price yourself. Not because you're good enough. Not because you could or would do something to make yourself right before him. But because he is faithful. Because he is trustworthy. John 3.16 for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Come to Jesus. Reason with him. And though your sins are like scarlet, he will make you white as snow. And though they're like crimson, you, they shall become like wool. Let's pray. Lord God, I pray for anyone whose heart here might have been moved, might have been touched by your word, your promise of salvation, your faithfulness, your trustworthiness, your great magnificent glory that you've shown to us in the, the person and works of your son, Jesus Christ. I pray, Lord, that you would move them to make public their salvation that they are accepting in you this morning. Lord, I pray that they would come up, that they would talk with me. Move in this place today, I pray. Holy Spirit, let us not dare to worship you, O oh God, without your, your presence here, without you amongst us. 
You are magnificent. You are glorious. You are wonderful. You are holy, holy, holy. We can't stop singing your praises. Praise you, Lord, for this morning and your word given to us, and we praise you in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.